Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we wrap up a very eventful week. And, of course, we start off by um, sending our thoughts and prayers out to those who have been impacted by the severe weather that moved through Iowa, Missouri, and some other parts of the country overnight. And uh, we are our we best wishes to them as uh, they uh, struggle to uh, recover from that. And certainly we know lives have been lost and our prayers go out to all those that have been impacted. All right, on our program today, we're going to talk about that uh, RFS meeting that was held in Michigan this week. Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol will be with us to talk about what their message was to EPA at that meeting. Paul Schlegel with the American Farm Bureau Federation will join us. We're going to talk about uh, efforts to address the Ag Guest Worker Program in this country as part of the overall immigration issue. And then Kansas farmer Ken McCauley will join us. We'll talk about crop conditions in eastern Kansas. And he's just back from a big corn meeting in Washington, D.C. And we'll talk with him about that and what was discussed, what he heard at that event. But first, we're going to talk it over with Chris Clayton, DTN's Ag Policy Editor. Chris, thank you for joining us. And I guess we have to start with trade because the president's talking about even more tariffs on China. Yeah, it, it uh, came out, I think, overnight. I'm not exactly sure where the interview began, but uh, the notion that basically putting a tariff on all Chinese imports, uh, roughly $500 billion. Um, so, you know, he uh, continues each week or two to ramp up the, the level of numbers. He's got his guys now working on uh, the trade, USTR, working on what the tariffs would be on $200 billion in uh, in products, and we haven't seen any details of that. That will come out later this summer uh, after a hearing on it. But now the notion of having the tariffs on, on, on pretty much everything that comes from China. So... And I know, especially troubling to people in the ag community, comments that have been made by White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro, where he downplayed economic impact of the trade war between the U.S. and China as a mere rounding error compared with either country's economic output, and saying that it's much less disruptive than these headlines would suggest, and it's much more constructive as we see the adjustments made in terms of where investment is going to go and where we're going to build i mean it's i know secretary purdue is talking to the white house about the impact on agriculture but it seems in a lot of these comments we hear from other high-ranking administration officials it's just like they completely dismiss or overlook uh what's happening to the ag economy during all this yes uh and senator uh joni ernst uh took navarro to task about that yesterday uh, in a statement she made on uh, you know the impact of uh, you know you're, you're you're talking about basically threatening nearly a billion dollars in exports alone from uh, from from Iowa. I thought it was just as interesting that nobody took uh, Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross to task. He also had an interview on CNBC where he said that China really has not. Uh, 
made any major changes in its uh, imports of soybeans uh, from the United States. You know, and the USDA puts out weekly data uh, on exports year to date. Uh, I went to the website this morning, looked at it. You know, we have exported 20% fewer, 20% lower volume of soybeans this year to China than last year. Even as these price declines are going on, we are not seeing an incre- any kind of increase in purchases at this point uh, because uh, Brazil is still a better bargain for them than the, the buying from the United States right now. I talked the other day with former Secretary Jack Block, and he talked about you know, sometimes being at a cabinet meeting and he would speak up for agriculture, but sometimes other voices at the table, there were more of them and seemingly even louder than his when it came to some uh, policy issues. And I wonder if if we're not seeing that right now. I mean, we talk about uh, Secretary Purdue being the good spokesman for agriculture and, and having the president's ear, but he may be a lone voice in a, in a room calling for more of these tariffs and, and this kind of trade policy. Well, I believe, you know, there is a longer, a, a bigger picture in the challenges of trade with China. And, and there is a fear that, you know, major high-tech industries of the future will be lost to China, much like we lost, you know, we used to be the world's largest solar panel uh, producer, and we lost that to China. They took technology, ran with it. And now they are the number one producer. So there is this long game, so to speak, this issue. I think the thing when it comes to agriculture, the reason I think that the administration overall is not so concerned about that is once I think you see the fall prices come in, Purdue will be coming out with probably a very big package of aid for farmers. That's what will happen. And it will actually, it will come out, it will be announced before the midterm elections. You know, they're going to try to minimize the risk of uh, red state uh, rule Republicans basically by coming out and announcing a big aid package. And I would not, that will probably happen probably in late September. I would not be surprised at all. And, and that's probably part of the mentality that the administration has on this yeah right now prices are bad brag and don't worry about it because we're not going to say much right now but we're going to cut them all big checks in the fall you know and i would think that might be viewed as uh, until they get something done we keep hearing about short-term pain that seems like a short-term fix to me a short-term uh uh a band-aid if they don't get the bigger issues fixed uh, I was spent the last two days at the United Soybean Board meeting. Uh, they happened to be meeting right outside of Omaha, and uh, so I was at their meeting. And I, obviously, they're deeply concerned about um, what's going on with trade. They spent a tremendous amount of time and energy to build some of these major markets, China in particular. And you know, they're they're looking at diversification. But it takes time to build up some of these other export um, uh, opportunities. If you're going to be looking at more into Africa, looking at more in some of these other South Asia countries, 
it, it takes a long time to build a, a larger growth market. So they're very concerned about, you know, the, the damage that's going to be done um, to, uh, to crop prices, not just this year, but potentially 2019 as well. Um, and uh, but there's also this mindset and, and understanding that there is a point in which Brazil can only supply so much to China. And we are the other option out there. Right. And, and and that is, you know, sometimes somewhere this fall, you know, they, 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 they believe that, that China will have to come back to the United States in some way. And, we'll see, yeah. Uh, and fill some ships. All right, Chris. Thanks a lot. Good to talk to you again. Thank you, and have a great rest of the week, all right? Rest of the weekend. Thank you. Chris Clayton with DTN on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, 
The hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Big hearing was held this week in Michigan. EPA holding that hearing on uh, the RFS for RVO levels uh, for the next round of RVO levels, but it turned in really a, a chance for many to uh, let EPA know what they thought about uh, the policies on the small finer, small refinery waivers from the RFS. One of those there was Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. Ron, thanks for joining us. What was your message to EPA this week? Well, it was pretty much what you just said. I mean, one of the things that came out in that uh, the annual required volume obligation proposal was that these small refinery waivers were finally detailed or, or admitted to, or however you want to look at it, by EPA, saying basically that they had reduced the um, required volume for this year by about 1,250, or I'm sorry, 1.25 billion gallons, and that they'd done it the previous year for about 750 billion gallons. So two and a quarter billion gallons over the past couple of years that they've done, I guess it was one and a half this year. But anyway, it was right in there, and that was pretty much what all of us were concerned about, is that they were granting these small refinery exemptions, and and that was hurting overall volume. And um, so we commented on it, even though the proposal said, we will consider any comments about the uh, small refinery exemptions to be off topic um, and they let us all talk about it and at one point even one of the representatives from the EPA says we know you're going to talk about it and we've been talking about it in the office which was kind of to me an indicator that it was um, something that was demanded to be in there by the the former uh, administrator Scott Pruitt so um, hopefully that means they are going to look at how they make up those gallons and and uh, uh, and they will make up those gallons I you know hopefully again but um, that's uh, that, that's a that's a wish list kind of. I was going to say, hopefully is the key word there. We just don't know yet, do we? Yeah. Right. Well, and, and here's the thing. I mean, one of the things I said was that according to the, the law, you have to make them up. Um, the reason that small refinery exemptions are seem to be kind of easy to give out is because when the law was written, they anticipated that those would be given out rarely, and they would be, you know, small refiners, so it would be small volumes. And then annually, when you make up the RVO, one of the one of the last, actually the last item you're supposed to consider on every category of renewable fuel is deficits from the previous year. You're supposed to include those. So the deficit didn't get included last year or the year before. And even though a court ordered them to for the two previous years, that hadn't been in there. So there's a total of, of uh, I mean, close to 3 billion gallons of renewable fuel and primarily conventional uh, conventional ethanol that needs to be restored somehow. And and the thing is, that's not actual fuel, because one of the things they also said was that there's a carryover RIN bank, meaning that basically all these places that they said couldn't buy ethanol did. And the way that they're the way that they were trying to further enrich them was to say if they did buy it, they could use those credits the following year or they could sell them and keep the cash. So it's I mean, it was when you read it on its surface, it says 15 billion gallons of ethanol. But if you look at the details, it could be as little as 12. You know, they said uh, that the 
the refinery waivers were off topic, but really it has to be part of the discussion because it won't matter what the RVO levels are that they announce if they're going to keep going with this uh, waiver policy on the RFS. Right. I can tell you that most of the people that I listen to testify, at least on our side of the issue, which was most of the people who were there, it was certainly on topic to us because every one of us mentioned it. And then, like I said, one of the people from EPA said, you know, they didn't stop us. And, and you know, that's part of it. They could say that's off topic. You got to, you know, you got to stop, which they traditionally don't do. But, I mean, they even went to the point of saying that this is something we've, you know, been talking about ourselves and we know it's something that's going to have to be considered. So, I mean, that, that to me was quite an admission. So, you know, that, that's, that's, again, why I maybe use the word hopefully and, um, you know, cautiously optimistic, however you, however you want to put it. But um, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, any, I, I can't, I shouldn't even say that. I can't even imagine it being worse than, than uh, what, what Scott Pruitt did in his 18 months there. And I guess maybe considered off topic as well, but was the, uh, was the uh, subject of year-round E15 sales brought up? Yeah, again, now that that actually that actually is sort of I mean that that actually is something that's not really included in the RBO and it probably, you know, it would it would require another rulemaking. But we mentioned it. I mean, I mentioned it in my testimony and the other people who testified on behalf of ethanol mentioned it because you know, when it, when it gets right down to it, our job as ethanol producers under the renewable fuel standard is to make 15 billion gallons of conventional ethanol. The obligated party's job is to sell it. And so when you look at it that way, the year-round E15 would help refiners meet their obligation. That's that's a, actually a win for them. Now, of course, they don't look at it because they just see it as, you know, another billion or however many billion we'd get out of that that they would lose in, in gas volume. But, you know, it, it is something that does make a difference. Everybody who's selling E15, when they sell it, it's usually at least 15 to 20 percent. I heard one person tell me, that there's a couple of places in Iowa, at least one, where they said it was 70% of their sales because it's the lowest priced product and it's and it, and it costs and it costs less. So, I mean, the the economics would have us winning, no matter how you look at it. So all those people who talk about free market don't understand the way the oil market works because those guys would rather sell something that's theirs than sell what's right or what costs less, unless it's something that they make. We're talking with Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol, as we're looking at uh, a meeting that was held, a hearing, EPA hearing held this past week on the RFS. Ron, um, I keep coming back to this, but it seems like, you know, we've gone from a situation where many felt that Scott Pruitt was acting on his own, not following what the president wanted him to do when it came to the RFS, renewable fuels, but if it happens again under Andrew Wheeler, then don't we have to start questioning just what does the president really want or why isn't he stepping in to make sure if he is the supportive of renewable fuels that he makes it happen? I, I, I think that's fair. Um, you know, in this case, I think for the most part, people, you know, ethanol supporters have, have given the president a little bit of a break, although, you know, it went on long enough and, and things happened. You, you know, obviously the president isn't, concerned with ethanol every day like we are but if it's you know if, if the policies continue then you know i think you gotta you gotta ask the question what is the president's actual stance on the thing so um i mean with andrew wheeler i know there's some hope because he came from you know he, kind of, he worked for epa before he's got a legislative background so he'll have a little more respect for the laws that are on the books as opposed to someone who came 
from outside and whose history with EPA was primarily in suing them to not get them to enact things that were on the books. So, you know, there's that hope that because he came from, you know, working for a senator, although the senator was Jim Inhofe, who's never been very crazy about ethanol, but, um, you know, at least we think maybe a greater expect, uh, respect for what the law says as opposed to someone who just continually wants to figure out ways that that the law doesn't say you can't do it and, and basically try to carve out more money for the oil companies while he's there. I mean, if, if you work in Oklahoma, if you work, you know, in, in that state, it makes sense that you would, would advocate for the oil industry. But when you work at EPA, you're working for the entire country and, and you're concerned about the environment. And that was never the case with Scott Pruitt. So hopefully Andrew Wheeler will be, a, will be well, it, it, again, it's hard to imagine that he couldn't be an upgrade over that. As I say, the biggest hope is he couldn't be any worse than Scott Pruitt when it comes to renewable fuels. Yeah, right. I mean, and but I mean, we hope that uh, Scott Pruitt, who came in, he said, "I'm going to follow the law," and um, he he followed the law as he interpreted it, I guess, because it certainly didn't have anything to do with the the renewable fuel standard and the way that was written. And Ron, before I let you go, yesterday we talked with Bob Deneen, of course, the big announcement that he's uh, going to be stepping down as president and CEO of the yeah. Renewable Fuels Association. He'll be a strategic advisor. Jeff Cooper will be uh, becoming the new uh, president and CEO. I know you've worked a lot with Bob over the years, uh, a tremendous spokesperson for the ethanol industry. Yeah, he is, and, and, and a friend, and I, I like Bob. I don't know. You know. He and I found out a while back we were both married at the same time on the same day. Um, you know, he was he was married at I think one thirty, and he was on the East Coast, and I was at twelve thirty, and I was in Central Time. Um, and so I, I, you know, Cooper's a smart guy, he's a great analyst, um, great spokesman. When when uh, when I've heard him speak, because we've been on a lot of things together, and he'll do a great job. But I'll let him uh, I'll let him try to fill Bob's shoes, and I, maybe I'll take a shot at some of Bob's old suits. I don't know, I might be able to fit into some of those. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, worth a try, right? Just to say, send yeah. it my way, right? Okay. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll let his beard go, and I can borrow some of his beard and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Ron, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Take care. You bet. Thanks. Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. All right, a little bit later on, we're going to talk crop conditions in eastern Kansas with Ken McCauley, who's also just been to Washington, D.C., uh, for the uh, National Corn Growers Corn Congress, and we'll ask him about uh, that meeting and some of the things that were discussed and who they were able to talk with and hear from out in Washington, D.C. But coming up next, Paul Schlegel, Managing Director, Public Policy and Economics for the American Farm Bureau Federation, as the House gets ready to once again take on uh, immigration, at least uh, looking at possibly the Ag Guest Worker Program, maybe some fixes there, long overdue. Are we going to get it done this time? What's in there? We'll talk with Paul Schlegel with AFBF coming up next on Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. 
The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free Endless Pool Idea Kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oilseed sector, we are trending into positive territory, wheat, corn, and in soybeans. Soybean futures have seen two-sided activity so far on this Friday trading session. Corn futures trending two to three higher, some 13 to 14 cents higher in Minneapolis spring wheat. Gains of around 9 to 11 cents in the winter wheats of Chicago and Kansas City. President Trump is predicting that U.S. farmers will emerge victorious from a trade dispute that's hurt soybean prices. Trump in a tweet blaming poor soybean prices on bad, terrible trade deals with U.S. trading partners in the past. He's also pointing to Canada's placement of high tariffs on dairy products, but says farmers will win. Trump said he's ready to impose tariffs on $500 billion worth of imports from China. That according to an interview on CNBC. New crop November soybeans, the short-term trend, neutral to slightly bullish as the market enters a correction phase. The burden lies on bean bulls to support follow-through buying. Sustained gains above the 20-day moving average would be a bullish short-term trend signal. That 20-day moving average seen at 871.5. December corn ran into key 20-day moving average resistance near Thursday's high. That's the ceiling that bulls need to pierce to unleash a stronger rally phase. The 20-day moving average at 365 and a quarter, and we're trending above that on this Friday trading session. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we're 17 to 35 cents higher, 45 to 60 lower in feeder cattle, 75 to a dollar five lower in lean hogs. Outside markets, the Dow down six points, crude oil near unchanged. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, remember a few weeks ago, they couldn't get a vote on the farm bill in the House until they addressed the immigration issue, got a vote there, and, of course, the attempts to pass something failed. 
but there was talk about uh, coming back later and trying to address some issues, including uh, for ag and the ag guest worker program. Let's talk about that with Paul Schlegel, Managing Director, Public Policy and Economics for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Paul, thanks for joining us. So are they going to take up this issue again? <laughs> well, we're sure we're working like crazy to make sure that's the case. Uh, I wish I could tell you a definite yes. Um, what we do know is that the leadership a few weeks ago made a commitment to Congressman Newhouse of uh, Washington State that there would be a separate vote. We have legislation introduced this week, H.R. 6417. Uh, it's a bipartisan bill. It has the uh, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Mr. Goodlatte, and the ranking Democrat, Mr. Peterson of uh, Minnesota from the Agriculture Committee. So we and we have a good showing of co-sponsors so far. We're working it like the Dickens, and we're we're hoping to get up for vote next week, but we don't know for sure. What's in there? What is what does it uh, do to improve the situation? Well, it's essentially two uh, titles. One is the an ag worker program, which has been incorporated in previous versions that came to the House floor. The first one was the the Safe Act. It would establish a new H2C program to replace the H2A program, but this H2C program would give a lead role to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. It would be open to all segments of agriculture, including dairy, year-round livestock, and others. It would be less expensive for growers, less bureaucratic. Uh, There there are lots of elements that are uh, very attractive. It also would address the the current workforce in agriculture in a way that's maybe not the best, but we we feel it it offers us an opportunity to get improvements along the way. And then it would also... uh, mandate the use of E-Verify for uh, employers in the U.S. economy. That uh, we have, we don't support that in the absence of a worker program, but that's what members want to include in the bill as well. So better, not perfect, but better than what we have now if if this were to go through? Yes. Uh, there's, uh, and there's a, a couple of considerations. Number one, the, the, the worker program, the, the H2C, the new program, is a much much better system than what H2A is today. It's it's just it's available to people. It's less expensive, less bureaucratic. There are fewer obligations on growers. It's just far and away much better. Um, and USDA would be in charge of it. So that that's all positive. We do need a, a good transition, for, uh, and that that is where our current workforce comes into play. In that respect, the bill can be improved, and we're we're trying to improve it. That's important, but what we're trying to caution people about is some people say, well, it's not good enough. What we're trying to say is that this is the beginning of the legislative process. The House will pass it, the Senate will have an opportunity, and there will be additional opportunities to make improvements. So we don't want to see the process shut down now, because if it does, we have no idea when we're going to get another chance. Yeah, don't scrap it just because it isn't uh, what everybody wants. Uh, let it keep going so it can be improved upon during the process, right? Absolutely, yes. And that we had a similar situation five years ago when the, when the Senate passed their bill, the so-called Gang of Eight. It was a very strong bill as it treated our current workforce, but in terms of the future, what we call the future flow, which is the program that will give us our, our legal workforce in the future, it was not nearly as strong a program as what we have before us now. So we have a, a bit of a flipped situation. We had a 
bill that was good in different ways five years ago in the Senate, weak in certain ways, and on the House side now we have almost the exact mirror image of that. But but So that's the situation we face. Well, the track record for them getting something done on this is not real good, not real encouraging. But, <laughs> that, but that's putting th- it charitably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you think this is now on enough political radar screens uh, to get the support it needs to move forward? You know, that that's that's actually the, the $60 question. Um, we, all of us in agriculture who are, are supporting this, have been working like crazy for a little over a week now doing exactly what you just said, trying to get it on the radar screens and getting members to focus. So we have, if you look at the co-sponsors that are on the bill, Congresswoman Christy Nome of South Dakota, Mr. Upton of Michigan, um, a couple of members from upstate New York, there were a number of members who people had questioned where are they going to be, and they're now co-sponsors of the bill and they're on record. So we, we, we have done lots of good things, but there are other members that we uh, uh, organizations have been talking to and we've gotten positive reactions but we haven't gotten that ironclad you know commitment that the leadership wants before they schedule it for the floor and that's where we stand at the moment the, the leadership is saying we don't want to schedule this if the votes aren't there we feel we're very very close to getting them um, we just have to nail them in, and, and so in the next, you know, 30, 48 hours, something like that, that's what we'll be doing. I was going to say, you have a tight window here because they're about to go off on a, a big recess. That's, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it is a tight window, and um, we're, as I say, we're, we're, there are a whole bunch of people across the country that are working feverishly on this to get it done, and that's what we're doing. We're talking with Paul Schlego with the American Farm Bureau Federation, talking about attempts to get some improvements made, some legislation voted on that would help uh, the Ag Guest Worker Program. Uh, Paul, is there anything going on in the Senate, any companion uh, legislation or not? Well, um, I guess uh, the answer would be closer to no than yes. If if you remember earlier this year, uh, the Senate considered, I think they had had three different votes on pieces of legislation. That was involved with the whole question of the dreamers or the DACA class or the children who were brought here as minors by their parents. They did not pass any of those bills in the Senate. And Senator McConnell, subsequent to that, said they were not going to bring stuff up. Part part of the dynamic that is operating here is that the Senate, at this stage of the game, does not want to engage further if the House can't pass a bill. They've almost challenged the House because in the past the Senate has, has acted, the House has not. So we're on, if the House, if we can pass this, and I think we're on the threshold of being able to do so, that will give us impetus going into the Senate, and I, I feel optimistic that we can get the Senate to focus on it. I'm going to say, you sound, you sound positive. You sound encouraged that this might happen. I, yes, and I'm going to be that way until they tell me it can't. And I, I, to be, you know, uh, for your listeners, here's an interesting historical fact. July 21st, 1998, that's two, 20 years ago from tomorrow, Gordon Smith of Oregon introduced the first ag jobs bill in the Senate. 20 years we have been asking Congress to give us a program. We're now on the threshold of maybe getting one of the best versions we can. We can't afford to be less than optimistic. We have to press it forward, and that's important. 20 years. That's that's slow, even by government standards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. And I, as I tell some people, 
back when I had hair, that was the last time the House voted on the guest worker program for agriculture. And, and, and uh, we can't afford to be anything less than vigilant, uh, energetic, and optimistic. We just have to. And uh, if we do that, I, I feel we're, we're, we're getting close. And, and we, we need to – We some people say, well, you don't have the votes. I tell people, you know, for those of us who played baseball – if you hit a ground ball, a shortstop, you don't throw down your bat and walk back to the dugout. You run it out because you might find out you're going to be on first base, and that's what we have to do. You know what has happened so often, Paul, on on this issue? It gets tangled up in the overall immigration debate in this country, and, and things get all bogged down. So can we avoid yeah. that? You, well, you're, you're right. I mean, that that is – there are some offices, for instance, um, who will tell you – they do not want to vote on this, not because of any issues related to what we want, but because the DACA question is not involved in the bill. Well, we can't, con- we in agriculture can't control that. You know, we we at Farm Bureau actually don't have policy on, on DACA. Other members might tell you that it doesn't have, there's another program, H2B, which, which is a visa program for seasonal non-ag employers. It's lifeguards, amusement parks, those sorts of things. And we don't control that either. We can't force the congressional leadership to put that in there. So there is a degree which we're held hostage by some issues over which we have no control. And so the only thing you can do is take the issues you can control, maximize their support, and do your best to make sure that Congress passes it. But but you're absolutely right. We're, we're, there are some things out there that could affect the outcome and they don't really are, are not things we can control i think i mentioned this to you last time we talked but it keeps popping into my, into my mind every time we discuss this issue the old saying don't fail to do something just because you can't do everything and that really That's applies you, here oh it sure does and, and the other the other uh principle is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good you know we we're it, it's clearly there that for instance there's a cap on the number of visas in the bill well we don't support a cap we don't want a cap but the way it's structured and the way it's handled in the bill, it's potentially we, we can work. We can probably work with it and, and make it. It's not ideal. It's not what we want, but it might be workable. And so you, you need to make those judgment cases. And the board, our board, the American Farm Bureau board, voted unanimously to say there's enough good in the bill to keep the process moving. So that's what we're doing. Well, Agriculture needs some positives, and this could be one right here that would help uh, a lot of folks uh, in need of... You you raise a good point. One of the things we're pointing out to people, the trade issue right now is is creating great anxiety and apprehension in farm country. And we're telling the members, if you want to show farmers something positive at a time when when we are financially in in a real tough bind and we have these trade wars going on, Give us a program. That'll give something you can go home and talk to farmers about. That's one of the points we're trying to make. All right, Paul. Thanks a lot. We'll watch it closely. Hopefully we'll have something positive happen. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Paul Schlegel, Managing Director, Public Policy and Economics for the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, coming up next, Kansas farmer Ken McCauley joins us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large 
or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. 
Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, as we check some crop conditions around the country, we go to eastern Kansas, where I heard that at one point they even had some dry weather this year, and I didn't think that ever happened, but I think they've had rain since. Ken McCauley joins us. Hi, Ken. How are you, and how do crops look in your area? Well, good morning, Mike. Uh, well, it's still hot and dry there, but we, we did get a little bit of relief last Friday. We had between one and two inches in places, but uh, it's not just northeast kansas it's it's all of i would say most of northern missouri and talking to those guys last or this week at in corn congress in washington dc they're every bit as bad off as as you hear a gene miller talk and show some ears it's 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 pretty bad but you know we're kind of known for being the garden spot but we are not the garden spot this year yeah our friend gene miller to st joe uh, telling me that another rain has missed them here in the last few days, so they just can't seem to, to get a break on, on rain. So uh, what would you say, have, have you lost yield yet, or are you still optimistic about good yield? Well, pretty good, and, uh, you know, the guys are talking, you know, we got potential to do 150 yet, and I'm, I'm saying we're in the bad spots, we're less than half, uh, I'm, I'm looking at ours probably around 100 bushel, maybe get lucky and do 110. But, you know, it can still fool you, but we're still missing rains. We missed the same one Gene did yesterday, and they just seem to be just going around us every every time. And, uh, you know, southern, south of in the Kansas City area, I came east of Kansas City last night. Man, those those fields just look beautiful in that Missouri River bottom. And so, you know, it's it's just spotty everywhere talking around the country uh, guys are talking about you know you got some heavy rains in the next two mile three mile over in in iowa they, they didn't get any so, but but iowa still got a good crop the way it sounds to me but uh overall i think we're we're going to have enough bushels uh, just listening to guys and their and their remarks about the crops but uh, soybean crops a little bit there we're kind of the opposite that uh, that like rain last friday's holding on really good our beans looked pretty good yesterday. They were hurting some, I hear, and and I think you go across the country and they are they're more spotty because of those heavy rains in Illinois and Iowa and South Dakota. So I think the soybean crops got a little bit of of uh, healing up to do. Maybe 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 not get there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it is spotty, and it can change, as you said, a lot in a relatively small area, that's for sure. We're talking with uh, Kansas farmer Ken McCauley. You were in Washington, D.C. this week for Corn Congress. A lot of important issues there. What was uh, what was your takeaway from uh, that event? Well, our, our NCGA message to the Hill was three, three points, and everybody stuck to those really good because they're easy to remember. Tariffs are killing us. We need relief. We need these tariffs to get fixed. E15 year-round is one solution, and President Trump promised that when we were trying to show him how bad Pruitt has been, and we need to get him to make that happen and get the farm bill done. It's, it's uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to take a while to get that done, and along with in the Senate, you've got the uh, Senate hearing, or the uh, Supreme Court hearings going on, so that's going to take a lot of their, a lot of their energy, so... But the tariff deal, it, you know, there's a few rumors. That I think everybody's heard that uh, NAFTA might be getting closer, but it sounds to me like the Chinese are going to hold off at least till after the elections if they do anything, trying to, uh, <laughs> you want to call it, manipulate the elections in that kind of a pattern. I don't know how you uh, investigate that, but uh, that that's the three things we worked on, and we got we got good response from everyone. Everyone wants to get that because it's not just agriculture. It's, that was some California uh, representative Schiff uh, uh, staffers, and <laughs> this is one thing everybody agrees on, but nothing's happening. You know, there's a growing feeling, and we, we hear bits and pieces that, uh, you know, getting closer to uh, the midterm elections, uh, sometime after Labor Day, uh, there could be checks written out to help farmers uh, suffering from uh, you know loss in in income because of the tariffs and the trade situation, what are your thoughts on that approach? Uh, and is that something that you you think would be satisfactory, accepted by farmers, or how do you how do you see that being viewed? Well, we had quite the debate on this very issue in Corn Congress, like at the delegate session, and uh, uh, my my idea is we need that threat if, if they're not going to do anything we've had these issues before embargoes and everything we need some kind of compensation or at least a threat that you better fix this or you're going to have to do something we all know that it'd be a just a, a real mess to, to administer and we ask that in different agencies but there are a lot of meetings going on behind closed doors about it of how to do it what it would cost things like that but it's not just corn and soybeans <laughs> There's all kinds of things once you open that door. So, but but I do think that that uh, anybody going to see President Trump needs to have that hammer, and we still have that in our in our resolutions to to uh, compensate us if if we continue to be harmed and it turns into a long term long term issue. What a, what's the feeling you pick up on among farmers you talk to concerning the president, and especially with trade? Um, nervousness or still hopeful or do you as uh, patience growing thin how would you describe it well i think the patience is growing thin for sure but but also you know we do understand what he's trying to do he made it such a broad you know he he painted with such a big brush that it it involves so many people and we all know china probably needs us as more than we need them so the problem is that we in agriculture are going to get hit from both sides, and it's inflationary with the machinery going up and different things that we buy. But it's taken the top off of our gross income, and everybody knows 
the top is where your net income is. And a lot of people didn't understand that that we talked to, that you take a hundred, two hundred thousand or whatever off the top of your gross income, that's your profit if you even made that much. And we stressed that our young people that, that are hitting getting hit the hardest probably and that they need this more than anybody and we need to keep these young people who've geared up but need all these things that are being taken away from us at the time. Well, Ken, I hope they heard your message out there. Glad you had a safe trip. Hope you get some rain. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. It was really good to have everybody on the same page saying the same thing. Really really had a good visit. Very good. Thanks, Ken. Ken McCauley, Kansas farmer, joining us here on AOA. Thanks for joining us uh, today and for the week. Remember, always appreciate your emails, MikeAdams at AmericanAgNetwork.com or on Twitter at MikeAdamsAg. Have a great weekend, everyone. Join us again on Monday right here on AOA.